0: Hey, my name is Greg Tall. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm an active duty U.S. Coast Guardsman. I love listening to the Compelled podcast because it's well produced and the stories, oh man, they're they're insightful, they're impactful. And I think that it's important, maybe more so than ever, as it seems like the church is struggling to hear these incredible stories about how God is still working in very active ways. So I hope that you really enjoy the podcast and that you just super enjoy today's episode.
1: And I'm holding Lauren Matthews' hands at this point, and we watch the clock count down to zero, and there's been no sonic boom, and there's no landing, and I don't know what to think.
0: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to season four of Compelled, a seasonal podcast using gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming the lives of Christians around the world i hope you enjoyed our behind the scenes episode last week with hannah overton her testimony about being falsely accused of murder and sentenced to life in prison yet choosing to embrace that moment and share the gospel no matter where god had placed her was equally shocking and convicting and just a reminder behind the scenes episodes like the one you heard from hannah last week are normally only made available to our monthly supporters on patreon it's our way of saying thank you for helping make our show possible There are other perks to being a monthly supporter, including getting access to each week's episode one week early. You can become a monthly supporter for as little as $3 a month. To get started, visit our website at compelledpodcast.com and click the green button that says Support Our Work. Today, our guest is Evelyn Husband-Thompson. Her husband, Rick, was selected by NASA to be an astronaut in 1994 and was the commander of the Space Shuttle Columbia in 2003. While Evelyn knew that her husband always faced dangers inherent with being an astronaut, she was eventually confronted with a moment where she would have to trust the Lord no matter what. So lean in and join us for another compelling story from the Kingdom of God. This past March, I interviewed Evelyn at her home church in Houston. She explained how she grew up in West Texas her entire life and gave her life to the Lord when she was 13. A few years later, at a church camp, that faith became very real and it was cemented for her. Strangely enough, Evelyn grew up only a mile away from her future husband, Rick Husband, and even went to the same high school with him, but they never officially met. And yes, to be clear, Rick's last name was Husband, spelled just like husband and wife. And yes, I'm sure that there were many puns to be made about that, but obviously not something that bothered Evelyn.
1: He graduated a year ahead of me and went on to college at Texas Tech University and I followed the next year. And we met at a basketball game. I went with a group of girls and he went with a group of guys and we actually only sat a row apart from each other. And so when he saw me walk in, he recognized me from from home, from Amarillo. And so he just racked his brain to remember my name. And so (laughs) this is back in the dark ages. So you call the school operator and asked for Evelyn Neely, which was my maiden name. Yeah. So he called me, said that, you know, he had sat near me at the game and I had noticed him as well. I said, Yeah, I remember seeing you and I knew that we went to high school together. But it was funny because I answered the phone, Kappa Pledge Evelyn, because I was pledging a sorority and he almost hung up because really? he was not really interested in dating somebody in a sorority. And thankfully he didn't hang up. So we, talked and then he ended up asking me out on a date. We went on our first date and on that date, he took me to dinner and so he also knocked his water off and I had to move seconds before it completely flooded all over me and he bumped his head on the light above our, our table so it's swinging while he's talking to me. Um, just a great guy, very humble, very yeah. easy to talk to, very relaxed. Yeah. As we were visiting, he shared with me that he wanted to be an astronaut. So never, never had heard that before. On the first date. (laughs) Yes. Well, we were just talking about what our life dreams were, goals, and he told me he was studying engineering. And so he had wanted to be an astronaut since he was four. And then I had to laugh because he told me that he had for a very short period of time wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy, but he realized that that was pretty much going to be impossible. Like being an astronaut would be totally possible. Uh Uh-huh but he was just extremely interesting and very humble. I mean, he he was not egotistical at all, and so it was just a, a very sweet first date.
0: Evelyn and Rick hit it off and dated for the next five years. Rick was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force, and in 1982, they got married. For the next few years, the Air Force moved them around to various locations in the U.S. until Rick was accepted into test pilot school at Edwards Air Force Base in California which was a critical step to becoming an astronaut. During this time, they struggled with getting pregnant, but eventually they had their first daughter, Laura.
1: We had walked through some difficulties in our marriage. We had walked through some some challenges, and certainly going through miscarriages was, was extremely difficult. But after we had Laura, and after he had graduated from test pilot school, I was, you know, breastfeeding her and up uh, all night with her and. This is before cell phones and all of this, so I mean, it was me and God, which was actually awesome. And so I just found myself really drawing closer to the Lord just in the middle of the night in that quiet time with, with Laura um, as an infant and kept sharing all of these things with, with Rick. We had made the decision just in that time period to try a church and the pastor there, Dave Prather, just preached phenomenal sermons and did a whole series on overcoming. And his series on overcoming um, included overcoming anger, overcoming financial worries, and overcoming guilt. Overcoming guilt got two weeks, and it was a really profound series. And I just found myself becoming more and more exasperated a little bit with Rick because I could feel the Lord really moving me along, and he just felt like he was really tethered, that he just was not drawing closer to the Lord like I was, and it's not a competition, but I just wanted him as my husband and as our spiritual leader, and I, I wanted him to be growing, and I just finally asked him. Laura was about nine months old, and I asked him, what 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 is going on, and got a much larger answer than I expected. He had developed a relationship with this woman when he went through some training that was inappropriate. It was an emotional, Friendship and it was just way more than it should have been and he had carried that um, For several years and he was just broken over it absolutely broken over it So he proceeded to unpack all of this and then I also found out before we were married that there were other people Which he had never told me before and so it was awful I mean it was a very difficult time for us, but he unpacked all of that and I mean we stayed up most of the night crying. And I think part of the fact that Laura was asleep in her crib and she was nine or 10 months old really helped anchor me that I wanted to work through this. But the Lord was in the midst of all of it. And He was in the midst of strengthening us. And I mean, He knew the ultimate journey we would be on. We always looked back and saw the Lord just building this very firm foundation with him and with each other. Yeah. And it started there. So we were very broken. It was very hard just to go through the healing process. It was Mm. not easy. Yeah. And he had applied for NASA. He'd applied to be an astronaut. He had interviewed even and was in the final, final group and found out that he wasn't selected. We recognized almost immediately what the Lord was doing. That was a touchstone of change in Rick Husband's life. He became a man after God's heart. He pursued the Lord like he never had before. He wanted to be a godly man. He wanted to be a godly husband and a godly father. His quiet time started stretching and expanding to an hour a day, and it was very genuine. Yeah, I mean, it was a long process. This isn't something that you just snap out of. Yeah. And it was beautiful to watch through those months what, what the Lord did to him and instructing him and growing him. And one of the most pivotal points that Rick liked to talk about a lot afterwards was the Lord really pursued Rick's heart and what were the desires of his heart. His knee-jerk reaction or knee-jerk answer to that, what are your desires, was always, I want to be an astronaut. That had been always his pat answer. That's what he would say. But the Lord really pressed him on that and said, no, really, what, what are the desires of your heart? And as Rick studied that, prayed about that, meditated on that for a long, long time, not just one day, but weeks, he came to the conclusion that the desires of his heart were, number one, to have a strong relationship with the Lord and to be the best husband and father that he could possibly be, mm-hmm. that those were the desires of his heart. He would love to be an astronaut but the desires of his heart had shifted to have this relationship with the Lord that was paramount and first, and to be a great husband and to be a great dad. And so I think the Lord had to get all of those ducks in a row in his life. Um, I've always found, and, and Rick believed this as well, that God does things with decency and order, and we could certainly see that in
0: this process. With the baggage from the past revealed and cleaned out, the husbands were in a much better place. And Rick's priorities were clear for him, with God first, family second, and job third. In 1992, the Air Force sent Rick to England as an exchange test pilot for a three-year term. Evelyn and Rick made some very close friends there and grew deeper in their faith and in their marriage. But then, in 1994, the same week they discovered they were pregnant with their second child, Rick got a call from NASA. Out of 3,000 applications, Rick was asked to join the newest class of astronauts— and of course, he said yes. Soon, they moved to Houston, Texas, where Rick began astronaut candidate school, which took about a year and a half.
1: It's just learning all of the systems, all of the training, simulators, flying. So he flew T-38s once he arrived here. That's the jet of choice <laughs> for NASA. And that was also the jet he learned to fly in originally in the Air Force, T-37s and T-38s. So T-38s are the airplane that, that NASA flies, a two-seater. So, Everyone would train and fly in that. And so he just had a very full schedule of training. He was in a class of 20-something people. And so they went through this year and a half of training. It was a whole new world of information and things to learn. And even through both of his missions, when he studied, he would study for hours every single day about systems and what he had to do. So it was a very intensive job. It was a huge adjustment. And when he first did that we could not find the rhythm as a family Mm. he would come home you know around dinner time jump in and help me with dinner i mean help with with laura with her homework or whatever so he was very hands-on but we just we could not get the rhythm of where he would have those hours to study and still have time with laura and matthew and we finally figured it out. It, he really had to pray about it because he was very um, frustrated about it because even though he was really good at what he had been doing and was well-trained, this was yet another level. And he had to be up to speed on on the console of everything he's responsible for in the space shuttle as a pilot. So it's a big deal. And there's yeah. a lot of systems to learn. So it's no small feat. And um, we prayed about it for a very long time and we figured out a, a way to do it. And so when he came home, we would eat dinner and spend some time with Lauren Matthew, put him to bed, and we would go to bed. So we, we were stay-up night owls, but we went to bed early, 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 and then he would get up at 3 in the morning or whenever he got up and just start studying and then wow. do his entire day. But it worked, and, and that um, was a game-changer for him, just with his job performance, but also feeling like he had time with us.
0: After four years of intensive training, Rick's big day finally arrived and he flew to space for the first time in May of 1999 as the pilot of the Space Shuttle Discovery on STS Mission 96. It was a 10-day mission and they flew almost 4 million miles.
1: The first time he flew was in May of 99. It it was just a very active time and he um, was extremely excited and we were thrilled about it all. It was just, you know, a huge big deal. And after the mission was over, I can remember standing there in the room where they took the spouses to meet the crew and it was almost like a garage door that got raised up. We were in this room and they just brought them in and they're still wobbly because they've been in space. It, it was just amazing to see his face. We just had some time alone. And he could walk through the whole mission and all of what he had experienced. and. You know, I really, really wanted to hear about all of it, but I wanted to hear about, about what his encounters had been with the Lord there. And yeah. his comments were not what I expected, but they were really interesting to me. So he got asked many times later about that, if he felt closer to the Lord in space, and he would say, no. <laughs> and you wouldn't expect someone to say that, but he said, it's a different perspective. It's an incredible view of God's creation. Phenomenal view. An unfathomable view of God's creation. But the Lord's right here inside my heart. And so He's the same as I'm sitting in my chair at home having a quiet time and just wanting to cry because I feel so close to Him. There's no difference in that and in space. And I just thought that was profound. Yeah. I just thought it was profound. Um, but it just, He had so much fun. It was everything he had ever expected. I mean, he thought floating was just the coolest thing ever. Just working in microgravity. He just, he had a ball from the beginning to the end. And it was wonderful for us as a couple, for him just to be able to one-on-one, just tell me all about it. We had an incredible meal while we were still in Florida before we flew home to, to Texas the next day and watched the sunset. And he said, you have no idea how significant is that the Lord makes the sunset like this and slow and beautiful because in space, it's every 45 minutes, very quick. Yeah. And he said, the Lord really gives us a lot to enjoy and to be blessed by. After Rick landed, he had not been in his post flight stuff very long. And he was approached by the chief of the astronaut office and asked him if he was interested in, in flying another mission sooner than later, and this time as the commander. And that just doesn't happen. So he was too humble to, to brag about it. He didn't brag about anything, but too humble to say it. But typically, a pilot would fly twice in the pilot seat before they flew as a commander of a mission in the left seat.
0: Rick was assigned to STS Mission 107 on the space shuttle Columbia, which would not launch until four years later, but there was already much to do. Six other members of the shuttle crew were selected, each with different skills and backgrounds, including Elon Ramon, the first Israeli to go to space, and Mike Anderson, one of their neighbors who was also an astronaut and went to the same church with Rick and Evelyn. Mike's wife, Sandy, was also a close friend of Evelyn's. The build-up to the mission included extensive preparation, not only to fly the shuttle and to live in space, but also to conduct the various experiments they would carry out on board. But while the crew prepared for this mission as much as they possibly could, no one could foresee the tragic ending to their time in space. More on that after the break. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing, even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which if left unchecked, can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial and experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18, and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Welcome back to COMPELLED. Our guest, Evelyn Husband Thompson, had just shared with us that after her husband Rick's first trip to space, he was asked to be the commander of his next mission, this time on the Space Shuttle Columbia. By the time Columbia would launch, Rick and Evelyn's daughter, Laura, was 12, and their son, Matthew, was 7. It was another exciting mission, one that Rick had prepared for for years. But what Evelyn didn't realize was that God had likewise been preparing her for years for the difficult days ahead.
1: So he shared with me um, just prior to going to quarantine that he'd had an idea that he really wanted to um, make videotapes for Laura and Matthew of um, devotions. So they each had a devotional book that they went through every day and vast majority of the time he's the one that went through it with them. And he said, I really want to keep that up while I'm in space and I think the best way to do it is if I make a tape for Laura and a tape for Matthew. And then they can just watch it every morning or every evening. Um, And it's just little cute, sweet devotional books for kids and it would have the Bible verse and the little story that went with it and a prayer. And then Rick would just say a few sweet things to them, not very long. So he made tapes for Laura and he made tapes for Matthew. And he was very determined to get these finished, even though he had a to-do list that was pretty alarming. Um, he's going to space, you He's getting y'all. ready to go into space. There's a lot happening. Um, so even after he's in quarantine, he could actually come to the house during the day because he could be around me. Um, he just couldn't be around Laura and Matthew Um and so he made some of more. He made some of the tapes at home, actually, and made some in the crew quarters when he was in, in quarantine. We had waited and waited for them to launch, and they had a, a, a launch date that I can't even remember anymore because I think it changed 17 times. So there were different problems with the orbiter, different problems with whatever um, that would postpone the launch date. The night before he flew, he had been studying Joshua, and he quoted from memory, Joshua 1, 6 through 9, and talking about the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And it was just amazing. It was just such a, a sweet time. We we both felt like we were in a Holy Spirit bubble. I just yeah. don't know how to describe it, but we felt very much at peace, very excited, um, just really looking forward to everything. So launch morning was just beautiful. I'm on the roof of the launch control center outside, three miles from the launch pad, and that's as close as you can get. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, nine. Ignition sequence start. I mean, you're nervous. I mean, you want everything to go well because you've had a visual of Challenger. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. As it's lifting from the launch pad, you can feel it. It's powerful. It's very powerful, very emotional. We watch the launch. We get presented gifts afterwards. So the kids got their devotional tapes and really sweet notes from Rick and flowers for me and just different things that he'd made arrangements for. With Rick, especially being the commander, it was really awesome because I could hear him even if I couldn't see him on camera on the NASA channel, which we kept on the TV most of the time. Some of it was kind of boring, to be honest with you. I mean, they did 80 different experiments and some of them were like watching grass grow. I mean, it was not anything that was riveting. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could see a scientist get kind of excited. So I thought, okay, this is a big deal, but I don't, You know, I'm trying to be excited with you. Um, But I could hear Rick's voice, and it was just fun to follow the mission and everything that they were doing. And so Mm -hmm. they were in space for 16 days. Um, And during that time, my mom came and stayed with me, because a lot of nights I could go up to mission control and either talk to Rick or just at least watch different things that they were doing in the mission, and she could be there with my children while they were asleep. So the day before they land, NASA gathers the families, and they fly them to to Kennedy Space Center. We were set up um, in a two-bedroom condo that they they put us in. Um, And the plan was, is they were going to land the next morning, and then he would spend the night there with us that night, and then we would all fly together back to Johnson Space Center the next day. They had planned a huge welcoming thing from the school. They had a huge banner everybody had signed. And, I mean, you know, all of our friends and family were really excited to go out to Ellington Field to welcome them home. It was hard to get Laura and Matthew to go to bed that night because they were just really excited to see their dad. I didn't sleep very much that night. I was fortunately in a different bedroom than them, and so I could stay up, and I had the TV on and just could hear Rick going through all the depths to ready the vehicle to come in for landing. And so it was just really cool to hear him talking back and forth with Mission Control, and I was just so excited to see him. I just couldn't wait. And it'd been a long two, <laughs> it'd been a long two weeks.) Yeah. Um, As it would be for any family if if dad's away, I mean, it's just long. I mean, I was just ready. I was ready for him to be home. Yeah. So early that next morning, I got Laura up first. And um, we went and stood out on the balcony and we could see the ocean. And I told Laura, I said, this is going to be a day you'll never forget. And I just played with her hair, um, her beautiful long blonde hair and just said, this is going to be an amazing day. She watched her tape that Rick, um, who said to her, Laura, I can't wait to see you. Um, I can't wait to see you today. The only reason we won't see each other is if there's a weather delay or something happens, and it might be a day or two, but it'll be soon, and I can't wait to see you, and so he closed out his devotional tape with with her, and I love you, and all of that. We got out and and got in our um, motorcade. This is always the thing that shuttle kids, think is beyond belief because we have a police escort so we get to run all the red lights so that is just a big deal for them and the cocoa beach isn't big and there's not that many red lights but the few they have we get to drive through them so they think that that's just (laughs) a magnificent (laughs) thing yeah we head out to kennedy um they take us on the landing strip and we're we're um in a special section of bleachers that are just for family so there's a huge speaker that's just in the corner of the area that we're at, and the landing strip's right out in front of us. And there's a huge clock, and it's counting down the minutes of when anticipated landing. And so everybody's just in a really happy mood. And I can hear Rick just how of the, you know, I'm talking to people, I'm not really paying attention, but I can hear him talking back and forth to mission control as the commander. And then I knew that they would go through this um, period that there was no communication, when they would enter the Earth's atmosphere that there was a certain point that, that they have no, no communication. So after they passed through that, that period of time, um, they start trying to reconnect with the shuttle, and they try it on various frequencies, different, every frequency that they have, and they cannot reach them. I think Rick says a couple of words, but he's cut off. about a minute or so, minute or two out. I asked Steve Lindsay, my contingency officer, um, which direction are they coming in to land? And so he, and he said, just hang on a minute. And I just got a little ping in my gut. I'm just thinking, I hope everything's okay. I mean, I really didn't have a huge indication that something was wrong. Um, but I just thought, I hope I hope everything's all right. And then I, Laura and Matthew were, were nearby, and I just said, "Y'all come and stand here with me," because I mean, they're getting re- they're getting ready to land. And um, so we're watching the clock, and we're watching it a little bit more closely now. The numbers start counting down to a minute, down and down. And I I knew that we should have already heard a sonic boom, and there was no sonic boom. And I was near uh, Rick's mom and Rick's brother, and I said, I said that, I said, we haven't heard a sonic boom. And Keith was an airline pilot, Rick's brother, and he said, I don't think we're gonna hear a sonic boom. So that same thing in my stomach, and I looked at Steve and I was just, I said, when are we gonna hear the sonic boom? And, you know, he was on the phone by then, and I started noticing all of the men from NASA, all of the VIP guests, whoever these people were, pouring out of the bleachers and they're all on cell phones. So we're standing there, And I'm holding Laura Matthew's hands at this point. And we watch the clock count down to zero. And there's been no sonic boom, and there's no landing. And I just don't don't know what to think. Um, I remember looking up at the sky and just thinking, Lord, is Rick okay? And not being able to comprehend that he might not be. Laura and Matthew were not very talkative, but both of them said, is Daddy okay? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And pretty soon after that, we were shuffled out um, from this viewing area, and our special agents were all standing there that it, we'd had so much fun with just before. And one particular man, one precious man named Roger, he just looked at me and he said, Evelyn, I'm so sorry. And I thought, what on earth is he saying to me? I mean, I don't know anything yet. What is he saying to me? And I become aware um, for the first time huh, of, of the press, and the press is, is kind of off to the side, but they're focusing all these cameras on us and taking pictures of us. And it's, it's a very surreal moment. We knew something wasn't right. My one and only focus was Lauren Matthew. <laughs> making sure that they were okay. <clears throat> and so we load, we load in the cars, and the press is taking pictures of us, they're trying to talk to us, people are keeping them away, and they drive us the short distance to crew quarters. And all of the astronauts had stayed in their bedrooms in crew quarters a few nights before their launch. So they let us just go to their bedrooms. Rick had his own room. His name was on the door. His duffel bag was there with his clothes. Even his wallet, because you don't need a wallet in space. So all of his pri- all of his personal stuff was there. Couldn't even cry. I didn't know what to do. We're all just in a state of shock. So I called my dad. And when I when I called my dad, he was at home in Amarillo, and he'd been watching it on TV. and mm-hmm. He's sobbing when I, when he answers the phone and I just said, Daddy, I said, is Rick okay? He said, I don't think so. He's not okay. I thought it was kind of a blessing touch from the Lord that he allowed it to be my dad that told me first. And we didn't have any TVs on there. The rest of the world was watching that horrible, Um, scene of all these streaks across the sky. They eventually gathered us all into a conference room and told us very definitively that um, that the crew had had all died. Not mine, but one of the children just started wailing. Um, It was devastating. We're just in shock. We don't know how to walk through this. It had been such a happy time. It had been such a joyous experience with everybody, and now now this. And so, not too long after, I think that they had President Bush on the phone, who was very compassionate. I don't remember a word he said. You know, I just, your mind is um, in a kind of a numb place. It's hard to explain, it's very surreal but I know he said really kind words and was very thoughtful. (sighs) And everybody just had to find their way.
0: The devastation was complete. Evelyn describes those hours as some of the hardest in her life. At the time, no one was exactly sure what had gone wrong, except that Space Shuttle Columbia had disintegrated during re-entry and burned up, instantly killing all on board. For Evelyn, this was her darkest hour. More on that after the break. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle. And I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free US shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M. compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. You're talking to a friend, and they're going through a really tough time, and you want to share a particular Bible verse with them right there in the moment. But as hard as you try you can't recall the specific words to the verse you know the gist but you can't exactly remember how it goes or where to look it up in the bible does that sound familiar i know for me that's happened so many times which is why scripture memory is so important and there's a great phone app for that called verse locker it's totally free no ads no subscriptions nothing you just choose the Bible verses that you want to memorize, and then you do it at your own pace. The app has helpful audio and visual memory tools like Blur Mode, which gradually blurs out different parts of the verse, or Initial Mode, which shows you the first letter of each word in the passage. Or you could listen to a narrator read the verse out loud on repeat. It's up to your specific learning style. So the next time you're trying to remember what that verse was, you'll already have it hidden in your heart. Let VerseLocker help you for free. Just search the App Store or Google Play for VerseLocker. Again, that's one word, VerseLocker. There would eventually be a lengthy investigation into what happened on Columbia, and over 85,000 pieces of debris would be collected over hundreds of miles. Eventually, the investigation concluded that Columbia had been damaged two weeks earlier when it first launched from Cape Canaveral. A stray piece of foam insulation from the external fuel tank had broken off during launch and struck a small part of the shuttle's thermal protection heat shield, damaging it. During re-entry into the atmosphere, the heat shield failed to protect the shuttle and eventually caused it to fall apart and burn up. But at the moment, no one knew the cause. All they knew was that their loved ones had died just minutes away from landing and being reunited with their families. All Evelyn could do was mourn the loss of her husband and pray that God would help her put one foot in front of the next.
1: They made arrangements to get us home. They wanted to fly us. We wouldn't all fit in one airplane. They wanted to get us all back here at the same time in Houston. We didn't talk much on the plane. I mean, there just wasn't a whole lot to say. I remember looking at Matthew. He just looked so tiny, sitting in his little seat. And I could just see the wheels turning that, I mean, he just wondered what on earth life was going to look like after this. And I, one of his best friend, Danny, lived across the street. And I said, Matthew, when you get home, if you want to go play with Danny, that'd be fine. He goes, are you kidding me? I said, no. I said, if you want to play with Danny, when we get back to Houston, that's totally okay. And I think that was the first step of thousands to show my children that we could still live. We could still enjoy life. That we could still do things. That we, we were still here. We were still um, functioning. When Laura asked me questions in crew quarters that I couldn't answer, like, who's gonna walk me down the aisle? Who's gonna help me with math? Are you gonna have to get a job? I guess being a, a stay-at-home mom wasn't one. <laughs> but she was just terrified. She had no idea what this looked like. She didn't know what, what, how it was gonna all shake out. And I said, Laura, I don't have answers right now, but I know that God does. And that's all I could say to her. But I did, I knew that He did. So we got home. We landed at Ellington Field. I think the entire astronaut corps was there. And they were all lined up, and they all looked devastated. They'd lost seven friends, not one, but seven. And all of the things that they'd worked so hard for just, you know, had had this as the, as the ending. and just such kind words. I mean, everybody was just so concerned. They had all the cars lined up just to get us out of there. I had a police escort again. Very different scenario this time. Short, short drive from Ellington Field to my house, but it felt like forever. And it was my new normal, my, my first steps, my first breaths in new normal of driving down very familiar roads and driving past where I shop, where I go to the drugstore, where I get gas. We go to church, we drove past all of that in this short drive, and I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And um, I guess people knew who we were coming back, and all the cars were pulling over on the side of the roads. People were getting out of their cars and putting their hands over their hearts, taking their ball caps off, and um, it it was really tough. And I noticed even when we were coming into land, at Ellington, the flags were already at half mass. Mm. So we got home. I had decorated and had neighbors help me decorate the whole front of the house for Rick's homecoming. We had flags out, signs. Um, inside, Lauren Matthew had made paper chains that we had strung everywhere, just all welcome home stuff. That was all up. Mm. And I could not. Fathom, walking into this house that he and I had built, that we had prayed for, that we had written scriptures on the um, two-by-fours as they built our house, we had prayed for, that we had enjoyed so much. How how was I going to do this without him? I went into my room and I just started wailing. Got that out of my system, went back out, checked on Laura. Laura was just very Um, trying to absorb it all. She was coloring a picture. She was just thinking, processing. Matthew was mad. He was just mad. And I think at that time, in his seven-year-old mind, the worst thing he could possibly ever say to me was what he said to me. It was just like, I don't ever want to be an astronaut. And he he was just angry. Hmm. So we made it through the next couple of hours, and my parents arrived in the meantime, people from NASA continued to meet with us because they didn't find the remains of the crew for over a week. Uh-huh. So we were being briefed. We didn't know if they would find them, but they did. But we were being briefed and updated on that, so it was a very long, drawn out um, deal. We, we decided early on, in the next day or two afterwards, that we wanted to have a memorial service. and the most glorious and unexpected thing happened at that service. I was exhausted. I felt very held by God. And in the, Rick sang in the choir, he had a beautiful voice, and they had a chair up there draped in, with an American flag. They even played a song that, where he had sung a solo and the choir sang with him. So all of it was just so super challenging and yet so meaningful. And. The most unexpected thing happened during the service. In the middle of one of the songs, I just began to worship. And it was the most soothing, calming blessing and tragedy um, and loss that I could worship. Mm. But it was precious and it was real. And God was so close to my heart. And that day, I just began to see that it was going to be this journey of pain and joy. And that he was going to walk through every drop of it with me. I have not once, we're 18 years out now, I have not one moment questioned if God is with me. Not one single moment. The day after that, we had the memorial service at Johnson Space Center. And this was when President Bush came. And it was... One of those things, again, I'm just asking the Lord to steal me up, just get me through this day. It was televised. And, um, you know, we're still not even a week into this. And my poor kids, I mean, it has just been, you know, a lot. So we got lined up, we went out, we're seated, we met President Bush and Laura Bush. Tremendously kind, personable, warm, supportive. I was seated next to President Bush. Um, Laura was sitting, Laura Bush was sitting on his other side. And then to my left was my daughter, Laura, and then Matthew. And so I'm aware that there's this whole bank of cameras focused at us, and there's a stage, and this is, of course, being televised. And I, you know, I was still going through this every single day, looking out and just seeing how, what a beautiful day it was, and wondering, kind of wondering how that was even possible and yet the sun was coming up every day, yeah. and we have these beautiful bu- blue clear skies. My world has completely fallen apart, and yet, apparently, we're still having life. We're still, it's still continuing. Yeah. And the, the ceremony starts, it's just beautiful. I mean, they toll the bell, it's all kinds of stuff. Bush gets up and speaks so eloquently, but just talks about him being 16 minutes from home, and oh, it's really, really hard. Mm. So during this, and I'm, you know, I've got my hand out here holding Laura's hand, holding Matthew's hand, and my parents are sitting right behind me next to the Secret Service guy. So all of a sudden, I'm aware that Matthew has just sneezed. And so I didn't think much of it, but I, I just kind of look over at him just to see what has happened, and it is an issue. It is the grossest Most mucus-producing sneeze I have ever seen, ever. He wasn't sick. He didn't have anything wrong. But all of a sudden, there's mucus all over Matthew's face. And he's he's trying his best to sort it out and and fix it. And he's trying to wipe his face. And Laura is not going to assist in any way, shape, or form. She is grossed out beyond measure. So... Matthew's just looking at me and it's just like, and then I hear all the cameras starting to click. And so, <laughs> so they're thinking, maybe Matthew's crying, I don't know what they're thinking, but at least we're doing something, so now all of a sudden we're interesting. So they're taking all these pictures and I thought, okay. So I'm trying to figure out how to sort Matthew. I mean, it, it, we need something. President Bush becomes aware of what's happening and he uh-huh. leans over to me and he says, do you need my handkerchief? And I said, that would be great. So he hands me his starched white presidential handkerchief that I hand over to Matthew. And Matthew unfolds it and just wipes all of the <laughs> stuff off of him, gets himself all sorted and clean. He tries to hand it back to Laura, who is not going to touch it for all the money in the world. And so he hands it back to me, and so I'm holding it. And then I hand it back to President Bush, and he puts it in his pocket.
0: Gross.
1: So I completely... <laughs> i am not even thinking about any of this till later. And I am flooded with phone calls from my friends saying, what, why did you give the handkerchief back to him? <laughs> what were you thinking? And I said, it's his handkerchief. i was supposed to give it back to him. But the thing that was just so interesting to me that the Lord showed me that day, and he has shown me every day, is that there is light in the middle of darkness. There is humor. In the middle of sadness, there's Mm. joy Mm. and he is with us. There are things that are gonna happen. And despite the fact that we were walking through this horrifically hard event and journey, the Lord showed me some very normal things and humorous things and and quite frankly, helpful things Mm. that, that we were gonna be able to make it through.
0: As Evelyn's story came to a close, I asked her, what would the Evelyn today say to the Evelyn back then who was just recently widowed?
1: Strange enough, I just um, acquired a video of an interview with Katie Couric that I made only 48 hours after the launch. And I just watched it last week. I haven't seen it in 18 years. yeah. And so I was able to look at 44-year-old me and, and, and look, knowing where I was at that stage. And so I've actually thought about this a lot. And I would be almost giddy to tell that Evelyn that your life isn't not only not over and you're not gonna just survive this, but you're gonna thrive. There is so much more to come. The Lord has a banquet of experiences laid out for you. It's not all gonna be easy but you're learning to trust more and more and and trust his faithfulness. I walked through breast cancer a few years ago, so I mean, I've had things that are not great, but the Lord has shown his faithfulness through all of those, and and my hugest concern would have been about Laura and Matthew. How are they gonna do? So you can imagine that something like this would be very challenging, especially as a child, and that it would create a lot of fear yeah. Fear that you would lose your other parent. I mean, this, this takes away an innocence that you once had that you didn't know that your mom or dad could die. It's not something you'd ever thought about or very much. But now all of a sudden it's real, and you realize that people that you love can leave your life. And that was the story of our family over the next six years. We just lost one family member after another. Mm. It's just unbelievably tragic. And yet through all of that, God has been faithful, just as faithful as as He was when Columbia happened. Um, We have seen Him keep us close to His heart and and hang on to us and walk us through all those difficulties. And it strengthened our relationship with Him. I mean, our ultimate goal is to be more Christ-like. And so as He pulls us into His presence and shows us who He is, I mean, there's no other place you want to be. And to know that, yes, you're going to have trouble, Matthew's favorite Bible verse is, is in John, and it talks about in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Mm. And so the Lord shows, yes, you are going to have trouble, but, but I have overcome the world. And he has shown that in our lives over and over again. And it's been overwhelming and amazing to watch both of them on their own faith journey, drawing closer to the Lord and getting strength from him and not riding on my coattails or their dad's coattails, but it's their faith, they own yeah. it, and they have their own personal relationship with Jesus. So I would tell myself sitting there that it's it's gonna be amazing. So get lots of popcorn, because you're gonna enjoy seeing how the Lord is gonna roll out your life.
0: Wow, Evelyn, it has been a pleasure to Thank sit down you. here and share your <laughs> journey that you've been through, how God has used tragedy and turned it into something good. Yeah and just to hear how God has grown in you. And I'm confident that anyone who listens to this interview, especially someone who's recently undergone loss, I Mm. think that will be definitely be encouraged. Thank you. So thank you, Evelyn. Evelyn's story is so encouraging for anyone who has undergone the loss of loved one. It can be so devastating and leave you pondering how you could ever heal from it. And the sense of loss can be so profound. But one of Evelyn's favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 3, five and six, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In 2008, Evelyn married her husband today, Bill Thompson, and they are both active members of their church and local community in Houston. Evelyn leads a weekly Bible study fellowship for women and is a guest speaker at various women's gatherings. And just this summer, Evelyn was appointed to the Astronaut Memorial Foundation Board. Her daughter, Laura, is now 31, and Matthew is 26. Evelyn also wrote a book shortly after the Columbia tragedy called High Calling, which I'd strongly recommend. It goes into many more details and backstory about Rick's journey as an astronaut, their marriage, the day of the tragedy, and more. And we'll actually be giving away an autographed copy of that book this week. To enter that drawing, simply visit our website, compelledpodcast.com, find the show notes for this episode, and fill out the form at the bottom of the page. While you're there, make sure to check out the photos and videos of Rick from his astronaut career that we've included. And just a reminder, you can listen to the entire two-hour-long behind-the-scenes interview with Evelyn, as well as our other podcast guests, by becoming a monthly member on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Get started by visiting compelledpodcast.com and clicking Support Our Work. And really, that's just a key way to help us continue creating episodes just like this one. This episode was edited by Zach Fowler and Will Jackson. Our media assistant is Ethan Adams and our associate producer is Sarah Hastings. Special thanks to my friend Cameron Malott for filming this interview. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's episode with Edgar Pacheco. In 2001, Edgar entered this world without arms or legs. And although he has already faced many hurdles throughout his life, Edgar has always known that God is the one who has kept him and sustained him and allowed him to thrive even without limbs. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. I am 24 inches, so I'm two foot. And my friends and I, we always laugh at that because. One of them, he's, he's maybe what six two, six three. And my sisters, of course, they're taller than me, but they always laugh at me because I'm so short. I say that because being born without arms and legs, you know, you have to have people help you do certain things. One last thing before I go: if you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th. The other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st. The Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th.